0: It says, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Based off of my own feelings and what I hear and read online, the average Christian feels like they don't quite have prayer figured out. Not all of us, but many of us. Many of us have moments where we're not sure we're doing it properly. Like uh, those of you who go to the gym and you see those machines and you're not sure exactly how to use them, but you try your best, you sit down and do something and suspect you worked out the wrong muscles on that thing. Books on prayer mean well, and some of them do well, uh, but some of them slice more than they assist. It's frequent on, uh, to see uh, quotes like this. A person who does not spend much time in prayer cannot properly be called a follower of Jesus Christ. Ouch. Let's define what's much, you know? <laughs> what's much? Is, is much most of my day, all of my day, all of my night? Uh... It's tough to hear those sorts of things. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a man who God dramatically used in the 20th century and continues to use his ministry even though he's home with the Lord now. He personally witnessed the Welsh revival of 1904 as a boy. He wrote definitive books on preaching and revival, volumes on Romans and Ephesians. When he taught through Ephesians, he did 232 studies on Sunday mornings in Ephesians. But when it came to preaching about prayer from this text, he sounded like many of us. Here's what he said. God knows at this point I find myself more hesitant than I've ever been in a pulpit or ever can be in a pulpit to pray in the Holy Spirit. How much do we know about this? Would that I knew more. So if you, like me and like Dr. Lloyd-Jones, feel like you come up short in your prayer life, be encouraged because tonight God offers us comfort. One and all. The Bible meets us right where we are, gives us exactly what we need for life, for godliness, for growth and development and maturity in our spiritual lives. You see, it's not a secret to God that we often struggle in our prayer lives. And why shouldn't we? This is a heavenly activity How could we be masters of it without God's assistance, without God's revelation, without God's presence, without God holding our hand along the way? It's interesting, in Romans chapter eight, Paul says, we do not know what to pray for as we should. It's a pretty dramatic statement from the apostle. The disciples themselves, of course, famously approached Jesus that one day and said, we don't know how to pray, could you teach us to pray? The Bible is crowded with instructions and examples and encouragements and opportunities and exhortations about prayer, how to pray, the, the business of prayer, the importance of prayer, the blessing that prayer is to our lives. Our text tonight is specifically geared to help us, to set us on a path of prayer from this day forward. By the end, I hope we see that for the Christian, prayer is our tradecraft craft. It is a major purpose and enterprise in the function of our faith. It is a duty. It is a privilege. It is a joy. It's something God wants us to enjoy. And so hopefully, each of us are built up and encouraged by what we learn from the Holy Spirit through Paul tonight. He begins in verse 18 by saying, pray at all times. So hold there. That's enough to start studying right there. The U.S. Marine Corps' motto is always faithful. Always faithful. Our Coast Guard's motto is always ready. Paul would say the Christians is always praying. Perhaps this is one reason why we often feel intimidated by prayer. We hear these phrases from the scripture like pray at all times, pray without ceasing. We hear stories or anecdotes or read books by other Christians, many of them uh, who have a, a deep and abiding faith with Jesus Christ, And they seem to have broken through to true prayer with deep spiritual power, right? That's the premise of every book on prayer. And I suppose some of them have. This is not a criticism of them at all. There's many great books on prayer. You want to read some good books on prayer, read Ian Bounds, his books on them. But Paul assumes right from the start that all of us, each of us, every one of us can pray just the way the Lord wants us to pray uh, in all times and circumstances. Each one of you Christians here tonight has the same level of access as E.M. Bounds, as R.A. Tory, as A.W. Tozer, as all the other people with, uh, you know, no first names, just, just, <laughs> just letters, right? And so we all have the same access. The Lord gives the same blanket, um, exhortation, invitation access to us, pray, at all times. What does prayer even mean? If it's this important, if it's this essential and central to the Christian life, I guess we should make sure we're on the same page as to what this word means. Is it a certain amount of time? Is it a posture? Is it an experience? Is it a certain level of intensity? What does it require of us? At the most basic level, prayer simply means to address a deity, talking to God. Yeah, it's that basic. It's that, it's that accessible to us. And of course, it would be because God wants all of his people to pray. He wants the person that knows the most about the Bible and the person that knows the least about the Bible the youngest person, the oldest person, uh, the person with the worst life experience, the person with the easiest life experience all of them to be able to jump on uh, the line and speak to him. So, talking to God, that's it. What do we talk about? Anything you'd like. The Bible shows us many, many types of prayer on its pages. Look to the Psalms just as an example which many regard as the prayer book or the song book of the Bible and you'll see just a huge variety, a wide spectrum of conversations that people had with the Lord. I mean, if we, if we honestly read the Psalms and realize that these were prayers and songs that people prayed and sung to the Lord, sometimes we read them and our eyebrows go up and say, you said what to the Lord? You, 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 you were that? upfront with the Lord about your disappointment or your discouragement or or how you thought he was going to do this, but he didn't do it. And uh, it's, an, it's an interesting thing just on the level of variety, just on the level of what God is fine hearing. Guess what? Anything you're going to pray to the Lord, he's fine hearing because he wants to hear from you and he wants to commune with you and he wants to guide you and give you his wisdom. And prayer is one of these great ways that he gives us so that we can receive grace from him, receive peace and, and guidance and those sorts of things from him, from him. Paul says, pray at all times. If you were here last week, you saw that our, the, the previous passage is full of battle imagery. And, and if we continue that idea that, remember, we're Christian soldiers in a battle were suiting up, and as we, you know, click on our belt and tie on the breastplate of righteousness and get our sword in its sheath and all that ready to go, as we're kind of heading out of the armory, you know, our commander here says, and now pray at all times, we're in this battle, and the Bible shows uh, just if we keep with this analogy, the importance of prayer before the battle. David is a great example of that. We see God's, praying, God's people praying during the battle. Joshua is a great example of that. We see that there's prayer after the battle. The apostles, having faced serious spiritual warfare threats and, and wrangling with those principalities and powers that were so opposed to them, they gather, gathered to pray after that scuffle in Acts chapter 4, and it's a great little prayer meeting there. The truth is the Bible shows all sorts of prayer, prayer in caves and dungeons and houses, on mountains, in the wilderness, in palaces, in the church and in courts, in joy and crisis. There is no time, no place, no circumstances where prayer isn't effective and beneficial to us. The scriptures present it almost like spiritual breathing, something that's just happening all the time, just part of the regular spiritual life in every situation. You're always breathing, whether you're you know running on the gym or running for your life. Right? You're always breathing, whether you're relaxing or whether you're uh, you know uh, you know working. And and in a sense, we kind of get that vibe. Pray at all times. Pray without ceasing. We think, well, how's that possible? And we see that it's, it's meant to be so natural, so a part of our regular spiritual lives. Maybe not even just formal prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep, obviously. Not even just, but just this, this constant communion and conversation with God. It's just at all times, without ceasing. So how do we do it right? Well, Paul gives us the key when he says, as verse 18 continues, pray at all times in the spirit. There it is. That's what the Lord wants. It's not about a certain amount of time. It's not about a certain amount of intensity. It's not about, well, if you pray with tears, that's better than praying without tears, right? There's all kinds of prayers, and there's all kinds of sort of levels of intensity of prayer because there's all kinds of different levels of human experience. When David is writing a song of thanksgiving, a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord, it's going to feel a lot different than when he's literally in a cave running for his life because Saul is hunting him down, trying to kill him. And so what, it, what is the key? The key is to pray at all times in the spirit. That's what the Lord is looking for. It's not about formulas. It's not about quotas. It's not about systems or a certain level of emotion. What God wants, what God tells us to do is to pray in the spirit. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, we remember what Paul has already told us about the Spirit in this letter that the Holy Spirit was given to us as a down payment of what God has promised, and that the Holy Spirit seals us into those promises, that the Holy Spirit fills us and dwells in us. Those are some of the things that Paul has told the Ephesians in this letter about God, the Holy Spirit. When I was in college, I had a pretty good relationship with one of my roommates. We lived together for a couple of years, got to know each other pretty well. We were buddies, we talked with each other throughout the day, we did lots together, we would go to meals together, we laughed laugh together, open with uh, each other. It would have been strange if we only spoke to each other at set times or if I only addressed him with memorized dialogue that I said the same thing every morning. I just woke up and I said, Hello, Chris, good morning, and that's it, you know, and I went on my way. It would have been strange. Why? Because we had a relationship, because we um, had affection for one another in, in the sense that we were friends, and, and we cared about one another, and we were glad to live together and, and to be roommates. But my first year in college, I had a different roommate. I had two. We there's three guys to a room. We you know, man, what a terrible, what a terrible you know suffering that was. But there were three of us in there, and, and the one I had a good relationship with, the other one for whatever reason we just didn't get along, and so for that year we very rarely spoke with each other. There was no cooperation. There was no openness. There was no friendship. It was more like. We lived next to each other in the same room with invisible partitions between us. I don't know why it didn't work out. It just didn't work out. That happens sometimes in life. But it, it, we see there the picture of you know two relationships and how the 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 friendship and the uh, the kindness to one another and the openness of the one relationship led to friendship and, and communication and cooperation and understanding, and the other one was closed off, right? I wasn't friends with that guy. I don't know where he is today, right? Like I haven't kept up with him. We don't exchange Christmas cards, those sorts of things. And so when we have a healthy relationship with God the Holy Spirit who Paul says, by the way, he seals you into the promises of God, he's been given to you as a down payment of your inheritance, he fills your heart, he lives in you, okay, so he's in a sense like a roommate, he's with you all the time, right? If I have a healthy relationship with God the Holy Spirit, then I'm going to be acknowledging him, acknowledging that God lives in me and that his desire is to mold my life and direct me and to to, um, lead me into service and all these different things. I'm going to agree with him about what he says is true and good and beautiful and right and all these things. And I'm going to give my affection to him because God says, hey, I've made you my friend. I've made you my child. I've done all these things for you. I love you, and I want you to love me in return. And so acknowledgement and agreement and affection, and as I have that growing, healthy relationship with God the Holy Spirit, then he is able to develop my prayer life, which is what he wants to do. Our prayer lives grow as God the Holy Spirit fills us and strengthens us and teaches us. He's meant to be operative in your life. In fact, in Romans 8, I referenced this earlier where Paul says, yeah, we don't know how to pray, Well, in Romans 8, where Paul said we don't really know how to pray, here's the rest of what he wrote in that verse. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. So here's God the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you want me to leave so that this this person of the Trinity can come down and minister to you and be with you and fill you and do all of these things in your life. The Comforter, he's gonna guide you into all truth. And one of the things that God the Holy Spirit loves to do in the lives of Christians is he says, "I'm I'm gonna infuse your prayer life. I'm going to teach you to pray. I'm going to take what you don't know what to do and turn it into something glorious and wonderful and spiritual. I'm going to fashion a prayer life in you as you commune with me. You know, we already have a conversation running in our minds throughout the day, right? I don't think anyone in the room is brain dead, right? I think if we hooked up the, if we hooked up the, the leads, we'd see activity, now, some of you talk to yourselves throughout the day. I'm one of those people. I'm a talk to yourselfer. But even if you don't, you have a running conversation of thoughts going on in your life throughout the day. And so when Paul says, hey, pray in the Spirit, pray at all times, pray without ceasing, praying in the Spirit means that we remember that, okay, God really is with me. The Holy Spirit really indwells me if I'm a Christian. And so why don't I bring him into the conversation? That thought that you're having that question that you're working through, that situation that you're facing. Whether you think it's spiritual and important or not, bring the Holy Spirit into that conversation as if he were there, because he is there. Because he is in your heart. He is already eavesdropping on those thoughts. Bring him into the conversation. As we do, we're reminded about God's truth. We're reminded about what God says is true, is right, is wrong, all of these things. We're reminded about what our perspective on our life situations should be and what has been promised to us by God. And as we remember those things, remember those truths and remember those promises and remember that perspective, it then shapes our thoughts and our prayers and our decisions, right? We become aligned with the Spirit. We realize that God is doing something in my life and through my life, we realize that my circumstances are not what defines me, but it's Jesus and his calling on my life which defines me. And the Holy Spirit says, and now I'm gonna help you discover what that life is so that you can walk in those good works prepared beforehand for you to find out. Verse 18 continues, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. So Paul separates out here prayer and requests. Your version may say supplication. That doesn't mean that asking God for things isn't prayer. But Paul is highlighting the fact that there are many types of prayer. He says every prayer, all prayer. And supplications. And so he's talking about how there's lots of things we talk to the Lord about. There are prayers of thanksgiving or praise. There's asking God for things or confessing to God about things. There's crying out to God. There's lamenting before God. There are all sorts of conversations we can have with the Lord. And you know what? He wants to hear all of those things. Again, just look to the Psalms. That's the book that God signs off on and says, this is, I'm pretty excited about these 150 Psalms. Why don't you take them as your own, apply them to yourself, use them to pray to me, use them to sing back to me. And so he wants to hear every prayer, every request. What does the Lord say? He says, Cast your cares upon me because I care for you. He says, Yeah, bring all of these things to me. And we've seen this in other passages in Ephesians. There's nothing too small in your life that God's like, well, that doesn't matter. That situation, I don't care about that. That aspect of your you know family life or your work life, whatever, I don't care about that. I only care about big things. That's not how God operates. Remember what what Jesus said? He said, you know, God cares about every Sparrow that falls out of the sky, and little children, you're worth more than many Sparrow's. He cares about every aspect of your life, every moment of your life, every choice that you make. That shouldn't paralyze us. That should really excite us and remind us that, oh, man, the Lord loves me, and he wants to lead me, and he wants to guide me and use my life for his purposes, and so Paul kind of separates these things out just to remind us there's lots of different kinds of prayer. And so we don't have to be shy or pretend we aren't thinking what we're thinking when we go to pray to the Lord. The Lord already knows. Now, if I'm in right relationship to the Holy Spirit, then my prayers are going to be more and more shaped according to God's truth and His purposes rather than just my wants and desires. But we should never hesitate to converse with the Lord and to bring requests to him. What did James say? At one point in his letter, he said, you know, you have not because you you ask not. You should be asking the Lord for these things. At the same time, he also says, but sometimes you ask and you don't receive because your, your motives and your desires are wrong. They're not aligned with the heart of God. And so we see that the Lord is completely open to hearing our prayers, but also if we're in right relationship with him, our hearts and our desires and our motives and our thoughts and our decisions are going to become more and more aligned with his thoughts and his desires and his perspective on things. And so as we walk with the Lord and grow in spiritual maturity, as we deepen our personal friendship with God, our thought lives and therefore our prayer lives become more conformed to him. That's the teaching of the New Testament. With that said, I would encourage all of us to remind ourselves that not every prayer we pray should be a request, right? Not, if, if all I pray about is things I'm asking God to do for me, then I am missing out on the breadth of what prayer really is. Our relationship with, with the Lord needs to be Uh, a little healthier if all I'm ever doing is going to him and say, hey, do this for me, do this for me, I want this, I want this, I want this. There are a lot of other things that we can also focus on in prayer. For example, verse 18, stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So here we see that a major part of our prayer lives should be focused on other Christians, the Christians around you, the Christians around the world, other Christians. Christians, all the saints. Paul said he's speaking very generally. He'll speak specifically else, you know, later on. But here's hey, a, just pray for all the saints. Be involved with interceding for them. And it's fine to pray for yourself. Absolutely, Paul did. Jesus did it. That's fine. But. So much of Ephesians has been about our unity in the body, how we're all connected, how we're all integral to each other's spiritual lives, how we're in this together, especially the living stones that God has brought together in a local church setting to to be built up together, and what a good thing that unity is, what a good thing that community is, and so from there we see, okay, I have a responsibility and a duty and an opportunity to be a part of that unity and to be a part of that building up process in my prayer life. Each Christian has a duty to be in prayer for other Christians. Stay alert here means be on guard or watch with concern. It can also mean linger. I just love that image. Linger in prayer for other Christians. We intercede for one another, Paul says. And what does that mean? It means that we recognize the kind of ministry God wants to do, and we take that on as our responsibility and our duty and that we cooperate with him, right? We take on the heart of God, the mission of God, the purposes of God, and we allow the Lord to work through us. Why do I say that? It's because what do we see the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit intercedes for us, Paul says in Romans, He says, hey, when you're praying, the Holy Spirit joins with you and he intercedes for you and takes your prayers and does what you want him to do with them and that's to bring them to the Father and to, you know, with ununderstandable groanings if necessary, yeah, the Holy Spirit can handle that. And so the Holy Spirit is interceding for each of us and now we as Christians get to join that same work as agents of God's grace in the lives of others. Okay, now let me intercede for you in prayer. I'm not as powerful as the Holy Spirit. I don't understand what he understands. I'm not as good at praying as he is. But this is the whole point of walking with God, that God says, I'm going to include you in the work, and I'll pour out my grace and my strength through your life so that you can do what I do. We won't do it perfectly. We won't do it as well, but this is the Christian life. As the Lord says, join with me. Follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. I'll make you a prayer for men, an interceder on their behalf. You know, we want to be spirit-filled Christians and... Sometimes we struggle with, well, what does that really mean and how do I do that just in a regular, I have to live a regular life, so how do I do that? One way for us to be spirit-filled is to pray for other Christians, right? Interceding for them and to persevere as we do it. I'm sure some of you have been praying for certain people in your lives for years, maybe for decades, just the same prayers and the, the, the same petitions to God again and again. Lord, soften their hearts. Lord, bring them into your kingdom. Lord, sh- bring the gospel to them and, 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 and break through that stony heart. And I know in my life, I tend, you know, no, not necessarily just with prayers like that, but just other prayers that I repeat to the Lord, things I'm asking him for, or wisdom that I'm seeking in one level or another, I, I tend to want to give up. Because on some human level, I'm afraid of becoming the kid in the back seat saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And so I'm like, "Well, if I keep praying about this, I'm probably annoying God. Or if I clearly, you know, isn't doing anything about it from my perspective, so I better stop praying about it. But that's not how the Lord sees things. Jesus taught that we should keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking and that we shouldn't stop. Paul tells us here, persevere, keep praying. Even if it's the same prayer for year after year, decade after decade, keep praying. Now, with that said, there are times when God tells his people to stop praying about certain things. He did that to Paul, right? That's the most famous example. There in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, I kept praying about this thing, and the Lord said, stop it. You're, you're good, you don't need to pray about that anymore. Oh, are you gonna heal me? Absolutely not, <laughs> but, but you don't need to pray about healing me anymore. Um, and he said, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul said, okay, I guess I'm done pray, praying about that particular thing. Hang on, I'm gonna hobble over and miraculously heal this sick person, uh, but I'm gonna remain sick, right? And the Lord said, yeah, you're gonna remain sick. Okay, that's fine. At one point in Exodus, I love this moment. The, what, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. It's like, okay, stop praying. You you, you can stop praying and it's time to cross the Red Sea. It was an amazing moment. And so there are times to stop praying about specific situations and to do something else. And if the Lord wants you to stop praying about things, then he can reveal that to you. But meanwhile, don't be shy to keep petitioning, to keep interceding, to keep knocking and asking. The Lord tells some um, interesting parables about that very thing in the gospels. By the way, Before we move on to the next verse, uh, what does it say there? It says that we're gonna pray for all the saints, not to the saints. Uh, I just wanna throw this out. um, It's kind of a resurgence in certain areas of of Christendom where people are kind of gravitating towards um, some of these other areas where it's like, well, hey, maybe we wanna bring back praying to um, the saints. And listen, listen, those believers who have gone before us into heaven cannot hear you. They are not omniscient, they are not omnipresent. They are not a go-between for you. There's one mediator between God and man, that's the man Christ Jesus. And we already heard, okay, the Holy Spirit's interceding for you. you know, bypass the Holy Spirit and pray to Saint whoever, you know, Saint so-and-so, the patron saint of guys who wear flannel shirts, right? <laughs> That's kind of a, you know, when you think about it, that way it's just a silly thing. Why would I do that? On top of the fact that very clearly we've been told that we approach the throne of grace directly and boldly because God the Father himself has granted that access to us and he says, you, come right on in through prayer. And so uh, chuckling a little bit about that is, you know, but we don't pray to the saints. We pray for uh, the saints, Verse 19, pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. So much to love about this verse. First, even though these Ephesians were novices, even though some of them were barely out of paganism, even though none of them were apostles, none of them had walked with Jesus, most of them probably knew almost nothing about the word of God, and yet... Paul wanted their prayers. He said, you guys, please pray for me. This is not the A-string. These are not the all-stars. These are people out in the empire. And if you've been here for more of our studies, we've barely touched on the weird stuff that the people of Ephesus were into and that many of the people hearing this letter had just been saved out of. And Paul said, I I need you guys to pray for me. Would you please pray for me? Paul wanted their prayers because the access is all the same. And because God is not a respecter of persons, he doesn't play favorites. You're a brand new Christian, your prayer is just as legitimate as Paul the Apostle's prayer. Your prayers matter. And the Bible says this, the prayer of the righteous is effective. And we feel like, well, why would God listen to me? I don't know, but he does. He says, pray, pray. Pray for others, it matters. Paul practiced what he preached, he's talking about unity, he's talking about the value of prayer, he's talking about people praying for one another. We see earlier in the books, he, in the book he was praying for the Ephesians and now he says, and now how about you pray for me? I'd like some of that as well. He wasn't too proud to ask for prayer, he knew he needed it. Paul the apostle, a man who spoke to Jesus face to face more than once, author of New Testament books, miracle worker, church planter, who walked the streets of heaven and returned to tell us a little bit about it. That guy says, I really need your prayer so I won't be too afraid to do what God has called me to do. He said, your prayers help clear obstacles for me, obstacles in my heart and obstacles around me, external ones. And that reveals just another beautiful thing from this verse. Paul was the smartest guy in whatever room he was in. Paul was the most spiritual guy in whatever room he was in. The mysteries of God were revealed to him, and yet he did not rely on his intellect for all of his speech. He didn't rely on his smarts as he served God. He would rely on the Spirit working through his mind, working through his experience and expertise and all the other things. But it was the Spirit working in him, and and Paul understood that. He said, hey, Please pray for me that when the time comes, the Spirit gives me the message I need to give. And Paul asked that they pray that he would be able to serve with boldness. Paul talked about Christians being bold a lot in his letters. It doesn't mean loud or brash or cocky. It means uninhibited, to speak frankly, to speak without fear of reprisal. Now, Paul knew there would be reprisals. The whole last section is about spiritual warfare. Reprisals are coming our way. Paul sat shackled as he wrote those words, potentially facing death for being a Christian. But he asked his friends to pray that he would experience a heavenly freedom of speech. That he says, well, whether I'm in chains or not, I'm, I'm gonna preach the gospel. I'm gonna deliver the message that my king has asked me to deliver to whomever he wants me to deliver. Now, Paul was in real trouble. Physically speaking, uh, is not a, not a good situation in prison in Rome. You're going to have to stand before Caesar Nero, hope he doesn't go crazy on you. But notice it didn't change his mission or his determination because the Lord God had stood in his cell and said, have courage, Paul. It's necessary for you to testif- testify about me in Rome. And so Paul said, all right, we're going to Rome. Rome's gonna take, or you know, the empire's gonna take me to Rome, I'm gonna be chained, and I'm gonna testify about the Lord there. And so in this case, we notice Paul did not ask his friends to pray that he would be released from prison. He didn't say, hey, pray that I get off of this phony charge. He didn't say, pray that I get a pris- an angelic prison break like Peter got. He says, hey, pray that I be bold, because the Lord had already told him, you're gonna go testify for me in Rome. And so Paul said, all right, this is the I'm I'm not flying first class or coach. I'm kind of going as cargo here, prisoner cargo. And so, all right, so pray for me that I'm able to do what the Lord has called me to do. At other times, Paul did ask people to pray for his deliverance. In Romans 15, for example, he outright says, please pray that I would be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea. So it's not that we can't pray for ourselves or ask others to pray for us. And it's not that we can only pray, you know, what sounds like super spiritual things like pray that I'd be able to preach the gospel as I'm martyred, right? He says, hey, would you pray that I would be saved from these people in this place? Uh, And there was another place in Philippians. Paul talks about how their prayers were gonna lead to his salvation. And obviously he's not talking about his spiritual salvation. He's talking about his physical salvation. Paul filtered his circumstances through the revelation of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so in this circumstance, he said, okay, here's what I need you to pray for. Pray that I wouldn't be afraid. Pray that I would be bold. Pray that there wouldn't be obstacles in my heart or in front of me so that I can preach the gospel as Jesus has asked me to do. We should never be shy to ask for prayer. But God, help us to be mature enough to recognize what we should ask for. To know that, we need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, in harmony with the Word of God, and always conforming our thoughts to those things. Verse 20, for this I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Ambassador in chains, bit of an oxymoron. Obviously, Rome didn't recognize him as an ambassador, Uh, ambassadors usually had diplomatic immunity, right? Rome didn't uh, recognize Paul's authority. They didn't recognize Paul's king. Scholars tell us that Paul uses a pun here, no doubt smiling as he wrote or dictated this portion of the letter with this heavy chain attached to his wrist and a Roman guard sitting on the other end. One commentary notes this. The term chain signifies, among other things, the golden adornments worn around the neck and wrist by high-ranking men. On festive occasions, Ambassadors wore such chains in order to reveal the riches, power, and dignity of the government they represented. Because Paul serves Christ crucified, he considers this painful prison iron, uh, sorry, this painful iron prison chains as most appropriate for the representation of his Lord. And so we see Paul had a great boldness. He had it. And a very spiritual understanding of his situation. But it's also great, he recognized that although the spirit is willing, not God, the Holy Spirit, our spirits, though our spirits are willing, our flesh can be weak, right? And so Paul knew, okay, well, here's what's going on right now, and he's full of excitement and grace and boldness as he's writing this letter to the Ephesians, but he also knew, okay, but there's gonna become a moment where I'm gonna be tempted to shrink, to retreat, to to, to close my mouth, to abandon my mission. And so he said, hey, listen, pray that I would be the way I should be. How should we be in the Christian life? Well, we should be confident in our Lord, vigorous in our callings, faithful to our King, trusting Him, communing and communicating with Him about His business, conducting ourselves as ambassadors of the God of heaven and earth. And what a tender reminder of God's God's just wonderful, kind grace. The fact that He sends ambassadors and that He keeps sending emissaries. To who? To His enemies, We were at war with God, he loved us first. While we were sinners, Christ died for us and he keeps sending emissaries, emissaries to you and before you were saved and to your family members. Emissaries, we see through Paul right here, right, that he keeps sending emissaries to his enemies so he can offer them peace, to offer them forgiveness, to offer them life everlasting. Rome mocked God, Rome attacked God's children. The whole empire was an affront to the Lord. And how did God respond? He sent people, like Paul, over and over to their centurions and to their governors and to their emperors with a message of, I'm, I'm coming to wipe you out, with a message of the good news of the gospel. Here's how you can be saved from your sin. Here's how you can be forgiven. Here's how you can be led into my kingdom and share in my inheritance for all eternity. Paul gave the Ephesians instruction on prayer, and then he asked them to get right to it. It really wasn't complicated. Not necessarily easy, but not complicated. He said, here's prayer, pray at all times, now please go do it. He did not condemn them for not being masters of prayer. He invited them to enjoy it and grow in it and wield it, to recognize how essential it is, but also revealing what a powerful, accessible gift prayer is. Not something to be uh, uh, hesitant about or or frustrated about, or nervous about. Prayer's a gift for us to enjoy. We should be encouraged that prayers is ours. Ours to enjoy, ours to grow in, ours to wield. And listen, as I said before, I'm not against books on prayer. I've read some wonderful ones. I'm not necessarily opposed to trying one of the methods that encourage prayer, like Acts. Have you heard of that? Where you structure your prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I'm not necessarily against that, but you don't need A book to pray. God is your father and He's your friend and He wants to hear all your prayers. He just wants to commune with you and and have you pour out your heart to Him. And then as you do that, and as you turn toward God and, and submit yourself under His Word, that He says, Okay, the Holy Spirit is gonna is gonna develop your prayer life, He's gonna cultivate it. And so anything that makes you think you can't do real prayer right here, right now, isn't biblical. You can, every single one of us can. Every Ephesian could just jump into that prayer life. Would it be as strong as it would be many years later? No, but they didn't need a book first. Paul gives them a couple of words here. He says, you should pray at all times in the spirit. Please start doing it right now. Do it for me (laughs) and do it for other people too. And do it for yourself. Cast your cares upon the Lord. At the same time, we should be fine with the fact that not every time of prayer in our lives will be dramatically spiritual. At least it won't feel that way. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that there were two times in his long life of faith where he experienced an unusual work of the Spirit in a prayer meeting. And you know what, they were both when he was a little boy at the Welsh Revival. He said, two times, that's it. I'm like, okay, well you're a spiritual guy. And he says, yeah, two times I felt like something dramatic was happening in my prayer meeting. And we shouldn't be sad about that. We should understand that, okay, well, th- th- the Lord works in different ways and in different times, and normal everyday prayer isn't an impoverishing thing. It's what the Lord desires. Even in the Bible, we see most times of prayer where what we would call normal, nothing unusual or particularly fantastic happened. Only rarely did the room shake at a prayer meeting. Only once was Peter in a trance as he prayed. Otherwise, God's people just showed praying normally. Praying for themselves, praying for one another, praying that God's will would be done. Giving them thanks and praise for his goodness and power. Confessing their sin, calling on his promises. These prayers are every day, but that's the point. Every day doesn't make them unimportant. They are all important. They are ours to make use of at all times, in all places, in all circumstances, for all the world, and especially for other Christians. The Bible's teaching on prayer is this. Do it. It's yours. It's yours to do. As you walk with God, he will teach you to do it better, quote unquote, but we need not hesitate. Instead, gravitate to it. Gravitate toward the Lord by speaking with him all the time and keep speaking with him in every place, every time, every circumstances, without ceasing.